Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We are excited that you came across this message. The sermon you're about to listen to is from our study through the New Testament book of James. If this happens to be your first time joining us, we want to get to know you better. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card so we can do just that. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thank you for joining us today. Enjoy the sermon. Amen. I don't know about you, but man, I needed that today. Amen. Woo, I love it when we come together and we worship and we pray and the Holy Spirit of God just begins to move. I, I, I don't know about you, but that fired me up. And I, I, y'all may be in trouble because uh, I may preach a long time, all right? I didn't hear enough amens there. <clears throat> but uh, that, was, that was just awesome. That was awesome. I came across an article this week on a website called Psychology Today, and the title of the article caught my attention. Here's what it said. How many decisions do we make each day? How many decisions do we make each day? And that that intrigued me, so I leaned in and began to read the article, and here's a, a quote out of the article. Some sources suggest that the average person makes an eye-popping 35,000 choices per day. Yeah, that's how I reacted too. Assuming most people spend around seven hours per day sleeping and thus blissfully choice-free, that makes roughly 2,000 decisions per hour or one decision every two seconds. Now, like you, I questioned that, and so did the article. The article actually went on to to, to question the actual plausibility of that stat. But here's the reality. From the moment you and I open our eyes every day, our lives are filled with choices and decisions. And let's just say that that statistic is off by over 90%. Then there's still a few thousand choices every day that every one of us are going to make. Some of them, obviously, not that significant. Others have real impact in our lives. I read a quote from leadership guru John Maxwell. Listen to what he said. Life is a matter of choices, and every choice you make makes you. Every choice you make makes you. So I want to ask you a question as we begin this weekend. How do you make decisions? How do you make choices? I'm not talking about the the small insignificant choices every every day that we make like what am I going to wear today or what am I going to eat today or for a friend of mine who's here this weekend whether or not you're going to be a Jordan guy or a LeBron guy, right? I mean, I'm not talking about those insignificant choices, even though if you're anything but a Jordan guy, you're wrong. Amen? I'm not talking about those two. I'm talking about the significant life choices that affect our lives. How do you make those decisions? How do you make those choices? I sat down with our teaching team this week, and we 
kind of talked around that question for a few minutes. How do, how do people make decisions? And when I say our teaching team in that room is five or six of us that are prayerfully seeking the Lord about what we're going to be teaching here week in and week out. And in that room is probably over 60, 70 years of pastoral and preaching experience. We've met with a lot of people through those years. And I just said, what are some of the ways you've heard that people make decisions in their life? And we listed several. I want to see if any of these resonate with how you make decisions. Some people make decisions with the pro and con list. Anybody there? You know what that looks like. You take the piece of paper, you draw the line down the middle, you put pro on one side, con on the other, and you start making the list of the pros and cons. And if the pros outweigh the cons, there's my decision. Other people make a decision with what I call an opinion poll. I'm going to ask all my close friends, the people that know me the best, I'm going to ask them what decision I should make and the majority vote. That's going to be my decision. That's what I'm going to do. That sound familiar at all? Some people make decisions with the what makes me happy test. You know anybody that makes decisions like that? Well, here's how I'm going to make the decision. I'm going to look at what I think will make me the most happy, and whatever I think is going to make me the most happy, that is going to be my decision. Other people make the decision that it just feels right to me. You ever heard that one? How'd you make that decision? Well, it just felt like the right thing to do in the moment. And there's a lot of people that that's the way they make their decisions. They feel their way through life making decisions. A lot of Christians use this one, the old open-door philosophy. How'd you make that decision? Well, it was just an open door, and when the door is open, I step through the door without ever thinking to ask, who opened that door? (laughs) And some Christians, the way they make their decisions is with logic. I use my mind, and whichever decision makes the most sense. And then when all else fails, we always have the old trusty magic eight ball, right? I mean, we can pull this out and we can say, okay, I got a decision to make. Let me see what we're going to get. Did you know that there's one of the choices on this that says better not tell you now? Like, what help is that? Like, that doesn't help me at all. Maybe this is too many options. What some Christians do is they just follow the old flip a coin test and heads this, tells this, and that's how you make your decision. How do you make your decisions? How do you make significant life choices? Last weekend... We looked at the definition of the word acceptable. And I said that the word acceptable is defined as being considered by most people to be reasonable or to be something that can be allowed. And here's the reality. For many Christians, one of the things that I've already described has become an acceptable way of making decisions. For a lot of Christians, that's simply how we go about decision making. Pros and cons. What makes me happy? What feels right? What my friends say? What door is open? And here's the question I really want to wrestle with this weekend. Does it really matter to God how we make decisions in life? I mean, as long as whatever decision I make, I pray and ask God to bless it, right? That's what we do a lot of times as Christians. We, we make our own plan. We use one of these philosophies of pros and cons or what feels right. Or what, but, but as soon as I make my decision, I'm going to take my decision box to the Lord and I'm going to say, God, would you please bless my... I'm not only going to do that. I'm going to get my friends to pray that God would bless my decision. Does it really matter then how we make decisions? Well, as we continue our study through the New Testament letter written by Jesus' half-brother James, if you got your Bible, open it to James chapter 4. 
And in the book of James, James is dealing here with the idea of how we make decisions. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, listen to what it says. If you don't have a Bible, we'll put these up on the screen. James says, come now. Now before you read over that, come now, in the Greek language, it's literally like James grabbing you by both sides of your face, pulling you in close, and saying, listen to me. That, that come now is emphatic. It, it should have exclamation points there. It's an imperative. It's James trying to make us lean in and pay close attention to what he's about to say. Meaning what he's about to say is very important. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. And all such boasting is... Say the last word out loud. Wow. That's a strong word. The word evil that James uses here is a word that means morally bad. It means wrong. One Greek scholar says it means to be actively evil, meaning this. When we live like this, when we live in disregard as it it pertains to the decisions in our lives, the Bible says here it's literally evil in action. This word evil is the very word that's used as the name of Satan himself. In three places in the New Testament, Satan is called the evil one using this exact same word, meaning that what James is describing here is not just something that's not the best idea for us, but he's describing a lifestyle practice that God calls evil And is more in line with who Satan is than who Jesus is. I told you last weekend that James is going to get into our business over these two or three weekends in this series. That that, that we're kind of packaging is this idea of acceptable sins. Things that the Bible calls evil. The Bible calls sin. But... Many of us as Christians have begun to consider it okay. Like last weekend, we talked about speaking evil against one another, how that's just become commonplace in Christian culture today, particularly on social media and Facebook and other places, to just talk bad about our brothers and sisters in Christ. And James said there's never, ever an acceptable moment for you or I to do that. James begins to deal with another acceptable sin here. You say, what is it? It's the sin... Of presumption. You say, what is that? Let me give you a definition. I'm going to put up here on the screen. The sin of presumption is making life choices apart from seeking and submitting to the will of God. I want you to read that definition out loud with me. Ready? Let's start right here. One, two, three. Making life choices apart from seeking and submitting to the will of God. Here's what James says, that is evil. 
When you and I treat the decisions in our lives as if God doesn't even exist. The people in the text here, I love how James writes it. They, it says, we will. We will go and we will trade and we will spend time and we will make a profit. He's talking to believers here about a cavalier attitude of making decisions apart from seeking and submitting to the will of God. These people are presuming on the when today or tomorrow. They're presuming on the where to such and such a town. They're presuming on the what. I'm going to do my business. They're presuming on the why. I'm going to make a profit. They were making major life choices like God didn't exist with the expectation that God was somehow obligated to bless protect, provide, and supply all along the way. Can I be real transparent for a minute? I've I've been a pastor now for 31 years. 31 years of pastoral ministry. And I know you look at me and think, man, you look way too young for that. But it's the reality. 31 years in this work. Most of the appointments that I've had on my calendar in the 31 years meeting with someone who's asking for counsel or input is the undoing or dealing with the consequences of making decisions apart from seeking and submitting to the will of God. I can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody say, you know, I didn't really... I didn't really seek God before making this decision, but here I am. What do I do now? It's exactly what James is addressing here in this text of Scripture. Here's what I want you to understand. When you make decisions about your finances, your relationships, your job, your career, your home your family, your health, and you don't seek and submit to the will of God, you're living in a way that is contrary to the very life of Jesus himself. Say, what do you mean by that? When you study the life of Jesus and the Gospels, and how many times at Hope have we said the Christian life is not you and me living for Jesus? The Christian life is what? Jesus living his life in and through us. That's why, yes, he died for our sins, but he rose again so that he could live by his spirit in and through us. So conformity to the image of Jesus is that my life begins to look more and more and more like his life looked here on the earth. When Jesus was on the earth, the consuming passion of his life was walking in constant step with the will of the Father. Let me show it to you in a few verses. I'm going to show you three real quickly. John 4, 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the what? The will of who? Him who sent me and to accomplish his work. John 5, 30, Jesus said, I can do nothing on my own. Listen, if Jesus, the sinless son of God in the flesh, needed to say, I can do nothing on my own, how much more do you and I? Need to approach our decisions, our life choices, the opportunities by saying, man, I can't do anything on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because, what? I don't seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Let me give you one more. 
John chapter 6, verse 38. Listen to what Jesus said. I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. What's the point? Making significant life decisions without seeking and submitting to the will of God is the very opposite of Christ's likeness in the life of a Jesus follower. And yet I'm telling you, I watch Christians all the time who think, well, this isn't a spiritual thing. I can just make this decision. Oh, if it's about my quiet time or my small group or my church, I need to pray about that. But this is business. This is relationships. This is my family. This is my free time. This is my downtime. And they make decisions without seeking and submitting to the will of God. And here's what James is saying. That's a very dangerous way to live your life. You say, why is it so dangerous? Well, that's what I want to talk about. Why, why is presumption on God so dangerous? James gives us four reasons. There are actually many more, but we're going to deal with the four that James gives us in the text. Here's the first one. It's dangerous because our perspective is limited. When you make decisions apart from seeking and submitting to the will of God, we need to understand our perspective is limited. Listen to what James said in verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring the word no it's a word that means to to know by experience to know by acquiring information it means to be aware of a specific fact or piece of information I love the way the amplified bible translates it the amplified bible says yet you do not know the least thing about what's going to happen tomorrow life is uncertain. If you believe that, say amen. If you don't believe that, keep living. There's stuff that happened today you and I didn't plan on. There's stuff that's going to happen tomorrow that we didn't have on the agenda. There's stuff that's going to happen this week that we didn't see coming. Life is uncertain. And when you make life decisions without seeking God's will, you're choosing to make decisions that could change your life and the life of those you love without all the information. Here's the bottom line. You and I don't know what we don't know. That's going to hit some of you later on. You're going to be like, oh, that's good, yeah. <laughs> we don't know what we don't know. This became, I saw this real in my life many, many, many times. But one example, um, back in 2007, if you don't know this, Hope Church, our, our first permanent facility was over on Pebble, 180 East Pebble Road. It's now an Ethiopian Christian church that we uh, sold that building to. But back in 2007, if you were living in Las Vegas at the time, it was one of those housing booms, man. Kind of like what's going on now, but without some of the shady stuff that was happening back then. But in 2007, man, property values were going up, land values were going up, house values were going up. And we were over in that small 11,000 square foot building running about 1,500 people, had no space left. We were doing four services every Sunday morning. We were having to turn the service around in seven minutes to unload the parking lot and reload the parking lot. And we were panicking because land was going up and property values were going up. And there was a little less than two acres of land adjacent to us. And the person put it on the market, said they'd sell it to us uh, and the price that they quoted us was a million dollars for this a little less than two acres of land and we kind of were in panic mode and we put down money and escrow on that land thinking if we don't get it now we're never going to get it and we put that escrow money in and we began to pray and just really process some of this with the Lord with our stewardship team and our lead pastors and 
through that process, the Lord just really convicted us not to go through with the purchase of that land. We lost some money in escrow because we'd already started the process. But we just really discerned from the Lord. Even though everything on paper said, if you don't buy land now, you're never going to get land in this town. But you see, there was some information we didn't know in 2007. We let that land go. We let that escrow money go. 2008, 2009, the economic collapse. If you lived here then, you remember the pain of those days. Land values, house values collapsed. That property that we were trying to buy for a million dollars, you could probably have gotten for about $100,000. And at that time, the Lord opened the door for us to purchase 15 acres right here for $1.5 million. We got 15 acres on Cactus Avenue. You say, what's your point? Here's my point. We didn't know what we didn't know. There was information that we didn't have access to. All the pros and cons said, buy the land. All the logic said, buy the land. The feeling said, buy the land. The heart said, I want the land. Everything said, yes, 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 yes. But as we sought the Lord, the Lord led us in a different direction. You see, our perspective is always limited. Whatever decision you're on the brink of making, there's some stuff on the other side of that decision you don't see yet. You're not aware of it. You don't have access to that information. But here's what I want you to know. God's perspective is unlimited. And not only is his perspective unlimited, he's in absolute control. Let me show you a verse out of the book of Job, chapter 28, verse 24. Look what it says. For he, God, looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. Meaning this, there's nothing that escapes the wisdom and the knowledge and the power and the control of God. Listen, doesn't it just make sense that if you and I have access to the one whose perspective is unlimited and whose sovereignty is in complete control, shouldn't we ask him on the front side of making that decision? James says our perspective is limited. Number two, James says our flesh is deceitful. The text says we're going to go and then we're going to make a profit. The story that James is using here, the illustration that he's borrowing of these people that are saying, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make this decision. We're going to go. We're going to make a profit. The word make a profit, that phrase in the Greek text is a word that means to gain. And it usually speaks to financial or material gain. And what it's describing is a people who were consumed with a lust for more. How many times do we make decisions just because we want more? Is it wrong to have more? No. If that's God's will. But here's what the Bible says with certainty. You and I are to be content with what we got. 
If God in his sovereignty and as a part of his plan and purpose chooses to enable us to have more, then to God be the glory. But the drive for, and listen, this is very much an American value, the consuming passion and drive for more, to have more. And listen, the thing to have more is a cup with a hole in the bottom of it. However much more you get is going to leak out, and the more you get is going to leak out, and they'll never, listen, no matter what level you get to, the flesh will always say, man, and I just need a little bit more. And here's what we got to know about the flesh. Man, it'll lie to us. It's deceitful. Listen to what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Here's what that means. Your heart, my heart, will lie to me. Meaning this, when the motivation of my decision is, well, this is going to make me happy. Let me tell you what. There's a hole in the bottom of that cup. It won't last, it won't fulfill, it won't satisfy. When the decision being made is what feels right, it can often lead to regret. And listen, regret, regret can be avoided by seeking and submitting to the will of God. Every decision in my life that I look back with regret, let me tell you what I did. I got out in front of God on that decision and expected God's blessing, protection, and favor to just follow whatever I wanted to do. And I didn't wait to hear from Him. Third reason why it's dangerous to presume on God, our time is short. Listen to what He said. Verse 14, what is your life? You're a mist the word mist is a word that means vapor. It's, it's like when you have a, a kettle or a pot on the stove and that steam rises off the pot. It rises off that pot and it's there and then it's gone. Or it's like the, the breath of air on a cold morning when you walk outside and you, and you see that breath of air. And just for a moment, and then what happens? It's gone. James says, man, if you look at everything in light of eternity, our lives are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. You see, we often make plans as if our time is unlimited. We often make plans thinking, oh, i got plenty of time to get to that. I know the Lord wants this, but I'm going to do this first, and I'll get around to that. Almost as if we think we're in control of how much time we got. James says it's limited. I love what Warren Wiersbe said. Since life is so brief... We cannot afford merely to spend our lives, and we certainly do not want to waste our lives. We must invest our lives in those things that are eternal. Time's short. Fourth reason it's dangerous to presume on God. Our enemy is a liar. Our enemy is a liar. What do you mean by that? Look at verse 15. James in verse 15 says, If the Lord wills. You know, a lot of times we hear that phrase, God's will, and we buy into the lie of the enemy. Here's what the enemy will tell you. God's will? God's will is going to rob you of all the joy and all the free. Well, I've got to do the will of God. I really want to do, oh, but I've got to do the will of God. We think the will of God is like eating your vegetables. I don't really like it, but I know it's good for me. 
For me, that's broccoli. <laughs> Yesterday, my wife, she, she picked up teriyaki madness, brought it to the house, and when she wasn't looking, I'd take the broccoli out of my bowl, put it in her bowl. <laughs> Every time she'd look the other way, I'd take a piece of broccoli and slip it over there. I know it's good for you, but I sure don't like it. If you're a broccoli fan, if you're a broccoli farmer, my apologies, but I just hate it. It looks like a tree on my plate, and I shouldn't have to eat that. It's terrible. This ain't enough ranch on planet Earth to drown it and make it good to me. I don't like it. That's the way a lot of people feel about the will of God. You know why? Because we've bought into the lie of the enemy. The lie of the enemy says, oh, it's like broccoli. It's good for you, but you're going to hate it. So i got to do the will of God. You know, what the, you know what the Bible says about our enemy? Here's what Jesus said about him. Look at it in John chapter 8, verse 44. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he's a liar and the father of all lies. Listen to what the Bible says about the will of God. Listen in Romans chapter 12. Paul writes and he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the what? Say it out loud. Will of God. Look what he says. What is, say the words out loud, good. You know what that word means? The word good in the Greek is a word that means best. Look at the next word, and what? Acceptable. You know what that means in the Greek language? Giving pleasure and satisfaction. Say the last one out loud. What's that word? And you know what that means? It means to be full. It means to want nothing. Here's what the Bible says. The enemy says the will of God is going to rob you. It's going to make you sad. It's going to make you sacrifice. It's going to bring you down. The Bible says God's will is the best. God's will will satisfy and give you pleasure. And God's will will leave you wanting nothing. That's why James says, man, it's dangerous to presume on God and not seek and submit to his will. So last question. I'm going to close with this. What's the alternative to presuming on God? We said in the early part, the sin of presumption is making life choices apart from seeking And submitting to the will of God. Here's the alternative. Making life choices through seeking and submitting to the what? Will of God. Here's what I want you to know. God loves you and has a glorious plan for your life. Listen to me. God loves you and has a glorious plan for your life. But listen, listen. He will not force that plan on you. We're not his robots. We are in a relationship with him. And as his followers, he has a plan. But listen, He'll graciously allow you to presume and do your own thing. And by doing that, you are missing out on the glorious plan for God. So there's two aspects of this alternative. we got to seek and submit to the will of God. So let me give it to you in two statements. First of all, I'm going to look at the second statement. we got to submit to the will of God. Look in the text. It says, if the Lord wills, 
then we will. You see the contrast? The opening part of that story, they said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go. We're going to do it today or tomorrow. We're going to stay a year. We're going to do some work. We're going to make a profit. Now, James says, no, here's the way you do it. If the Lord wills, then we will. You see, this phrase speaks to the posture of the heart that is surrendered to the will of God no matter what it might be. And that's the heartbeat of Jesus. Do you remember his cry in the Gospels, particularly in the garden, when Jesus was there on the brink of the crucifixion? Remember what he said in Mark chapter 14? Listen to this. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet. Yet what? Not what? Not what I will. But what? You ready to say that? That job change you're praying about right now, you're you're thinking about? You ready to say, God, not what I will. That relationship decision you're about to make. That family decision, that relocation decision, that selling the house decision, whatever it may be. Have you reached a posture of the heart that says, Lord, here's my cry. Jesus did it. Lord, here's my cry. But God, not what I want, because I know my perspective is limited. Lord, I can't see what you can see. And Lord, I know my flesh will lie to me. What I want may not be what I need. Lord, I know I got an enemy that'll lie to me. And Lord, I know my time is short. I may be making a decision that I don't even have the time to live out. Lord, not what I want, but what you want. My mentor, Clyde Cranford, discipled me years ago and he writes this in his book I'm gonna put it up here on the screen listen to what he said we must realize that when we are truly seeking the will of God he will not reveal his will as an option some would have God lay out his will on the table along with all the other options but they reserve the final decision for themselves though they definitely want to know God's will they will only follow it if they think it is their best option Their major concern is their own will, not God's. Before they can know God's will, they must be willing to follow it no matter what it might be. Jesus is Lord. If you believe that, Jesus is Lord. Let me see your hand. Just raise it up for a second. All right, you know I'm setting you up, right? (laughs) Lord means boss. Lord means the one in charge. Meaning, Lord and anything but yes don't go together. Lord, and I'll pray about it. Lord, and if it feels good. Lord, and if I think it'll make me happy. That doesn't go together. If we're ever going to know the will of God, if we're ever going to experience God's best, if we're going to please Him in all our decisions, it begins with a heart that is submitted to His will, that says, God, I die to what I want. Listen, I understand. I'm not describing something that's easy. I know this isn't a pep-me-up, make-me-feel-good kind of moment. I know that this is challenging. It's hard. But listen, when you realize what you're laying down to pick up, it's worth it. Submitting to His will. 
I know in a room like this, there's some big decisions that you're facing. There's some life-altering decisions in front of you. Ready to say this tonight? You ready to say, God, here's my request, but Lord, I submit. Not my will. Your will. Then there's a second part of this. There's a seeking the will of God. I love the way he said it in verse 15. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now, where submission is about the heart, it's a surrender. Seeking is about the hearing. You say, what do you mean? The opposite of presuming on God is depending on God. You see, when I make decisions apart from seeking and submitting to the will of God, that's presuming on God. But when I'm making a decision by submitting and seeking the will of God, now I'm in dependence on Him, which is what we call what? Faith. As a Christian, the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Nothing we do pleases Him apart from living in dependence on Him. I love there's a verse in Romans chapter 10 that describes this idea of hearing from God by faith. Look at this verse in Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from what? And hearing through the word of who? I want you to see this first part. Faith comes from what? Here's what that means. If you hadn't heard from God, it's not faith. How many times have I heard, well, I'm not real sure what God wants me to do, so I'm going to step out in faith. That's not faith. That's presumption on God. And it's a dangerous way to live your life and lead your family. Faith comes by hearing. We must hear God, which means faith demands intimacy with God. I love this. What's he invited us into? Rules and regulations? Religion? No. He's invited us into relationship. How then do I know God's will for my life? i got to submit to his will. And then intimately, I've got to pursue him. And as I pursue him, God makes himself known through the vehicle of the relationship. Here's what I've learned in my life. Every time I have a lack of clarity, every time I have a lack of clarity surrounding the will of God for my life, it's always an invitation to deeper intimacy. Here's what that means. When I have a lack of clarity, it's not up to me to go figure out the will of God. It's up to me to just pursue Him. And as I pursue Him, guess what happens? He makes His will known through our lives. A lack of clarity is an invitation to deeper intimacy with God. Henry Blackaby said it this way. If you do not have clear instructions from God in a matter, pray and wait. Learn patience. Depend on God's timing. His timing is always right and best. Don't get in a hurry. He may be withholding directions to cause you to seek Him more intently. Don't try to skip over the relationship to get on with the doing. God is more interested in a love relationship with you than He is in what you can do for Him. So I'll close with this. How do I know that I've heard from God then? I'm submitted to His will. I'm seeking His will. How do I know that I've heard from God? There is no formula. There's no mystical one, two, three you can follow. But here's what I've learned in my life now of walking with Jesus since I was a freshman in college. I came to know Jesus in 1989, and over all these years of now walking with the Lord, I've identified three things in my life that I kind of look for when I'm wanting to say, man, I've heard God speak. Here they are, and they're not in any order. One is a word from the Word. You say, what do you mean? Is that one of those where you get the Bible and you open it up in the morning and go, okay, Lord, I need a word. 
No. The regular rhythm of your daily time alone with Jesus. You're in His Word. God will speak to us through His Word. A word from the Word. Second thing is what I call circumstances and counsel. The situation, the circumstances, and the counsel that I'm getting from others are in alignment with what I'm getting from His Word. And then here's the third thing. A sense of peace. What I call a sense of rightness in my heart. I define it this way. It's the absence of a check in my spirit. If you've been walking with the Lord for anything, you know what it is to have a check in your spirit about something. Here's what I'm telling you. Every time I've walked past a check in my spirit, I've lived to regret it. And I don't make a decision on any one of those things by themselves. But when all of those things line up and kind of point in the same direction, a word from the Word, a sense of peace and rightness, circumstances and counsel, when all of that kind of lines up, then I step out and face saying, man, I've heard God speak into my life. Let me close by giving you a, I know it's my third time to close, but I'm really going to do it this time. I told you all, the worship messed me up, man. I'm ready to talk for a minute. Story from my life. September 1999, sitting in my living room, Memphis, Tennessee, minding my own business. Spending time with the Lord. Read Luke chapter 4. Jesus said, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. Went and got my wife, showed her the verse, said, man, God's doing something in my heart. I don't know what this means, but I think we just need to say yes. We knelt down in our living room in Memphis, Tennessee, said, Lord, yes. To what? We didn't know. We just knew yes and Lord, the only two things that went together. We felt God stirring something in us to go to some city in the world. We thought overseas, maybe. Plan our lives. To be about the expansion of God's kingdom. We just knelt down in Memphis, Tennessee, minding our own business. Lord, yes. Two weeks later, Johnny Hunt approaches me, pastor of a church in Woodstock, Georgia. Says, man, our church in Woodstock, Georgia feels led of the Lord to start a church in the fastest growing city in North America, Las Vegas, Nevada. God's put it on my heart. You're to be the pastor of that church. Two weeks earlier, we said, yes. Two weeks later, God had the audacity to fill in the blank with Las Vegas. Now, you got to understand, I'm an Alabama boy. That's where I grew up. In Alabama, you don't go to Las Vegas. If you do, you don't tell anybody, right? Where I'm from, they don't think this is hell, but they think you can smell it from here. Like, they think it's real close. When he said Las Vegas, you couldn't have picked a city that was further off my radar. He might as well have said the moon. And listen, if we'd have got out our pro and con sheet, made no sense. I'd never been west of the Mississippi River. Made no sense. People going to listen to a guy from Alabama? It didn't add up. Nothing in us felt like, yeah, that's an open door. Let's take our children, seven, five, and three, and move to what we only knew as Sin City. But as we sat before the Lord, it became very evident through counsel and circumstances and that word God had given us. He gave us that sense of peace and rightness. Listen, I'm telling you a decision that we made over 20 years ago that we thought was the riskiest, most crazy, radical decision of our lives invited us into the greatest faith journey of my family's life. And listen, I'm telling you that story to say this. I'm not selling you something. I'm not a paid salesman up here tonight. I'm a satisfied customer. I'm somebody who said yes 
and 20 years later would say, man, it ain't broccoli. It's ribeye, man. The will of God is best. How do you make decisions? You know what I've thought a bunch of times in my life? What if I hadn't been seeking and submitting to His will in that season in my life 20 years ago? Now, don't misunderstand me. God was doing this with or without me. What I'm telling you is, what would I have missed if I'd have just said, well, let's go to this city and do such and such, and we'll spend a year there and make a profit. And listen, don't, don't hear me saying I get it right a lot. I get it wrong a lot, too. I get it wrong a lot, too. God has a plan for you. Are you ready to seek and submit? Thank you for listening to the Hope Church LV podcast. If you haven't done so already, go rate and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Have a great rest of your day.